Hi, I'm David Dodge with Green Energy Futures. Can a new clean electricity standard in Canada help transform our national electricity grid to net zero by 2035? Stephen Thomas, Clean Energy Manager at the David Suzuki Foundation, thinks it can. He recently co-authored a report entitled Shifting Power, which maps out a pathway in which Canada builds 18 times more solar and wind power, along with energy storage, to transform Canada's electricity grid to net zero. He says the key is building new transmission lines that will allow provinces to exchange renewable energy with each other. Clean electricity is foundational to a net zero future since zero emissions electricity is essential to a future with zero emissions electric cars in our driveways, heat pumps in our homes, and industry. Here is our full-length interview on creating a net zero electricity grid in Canada. So I'm happy to be here. My name is Stephen Thomas. I'm the Clean Energy Manager at the David Suzuki Foundation. Uh, most of my work these days is on the climate solutions side of this, and most of that is about clean electricity. So I'm very excited to dig into the conversation today. Great. And where are you based out of, Stephen? I'm based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh. So we're kind of here to talk about uh, the idea of Canada adopting a clean electricity standard. This is a this is a thing that's been around for a long time. Help us understand what it is. So they've just renamed the thing on us. They've uh, we're now talking about what's called a clean electricity regulation. Uh, and what we're really talking about is how Canada gets to 100 percent zero emissions electricity. And the goal for that, for reaching that 100% target, is by the year 2035. So there's lots to dig into um, for how exactly Canada gets there, the pathways. Um, but we see every opportunity for this to be generational in, its, in, in the benefits that it can bring Canada. So it's good for our health. It's good for energy security. It's good for affordability for jobs, for Canadian supply chains, for collaborations between provinces. Um, I'm a fan, so I'm very happy to dig into the details here on, uh, on any of those issues. But the, the good thing about this, what, what makes it so exciting for me is the great yes, uh, that we can something we can say yes to. Um, and we don't need a miracle technology or a miracle solution. We have what we need today. We just need to get out of our own way and do this thing. So I'm excited to chat about it today. So help us understand just really high level uh, what Canada's grid looks like. So, if you know, I live in Alberta. When I think about our electricity, I think, oh, my gosh, we have such a big challenge. We still have, we got rid of the coal, which was amazing. But now we have all this natural gas. But it's not the same across Canada. What, what's the big picture across Canada? How are we doing and, and what what are we trying to achieve? So compared to some others, especially uh, Canada is doing pretty well when it comes to the emissions intensity of our overall electricity system. More than 80% of our electricity in Canada comes from non-emitting sources, most of that being hydroelectricity in provinces like Quebec, uh, BC, a little bit Ontario. Um, but it's uh, that's differentiated between the provinces. You already mentioned Alberta. This is true for Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Um, we still have lots of fossil fuels in some places in Canada. And the work ahead um, is really a similar work across Canada, no matter if you have a clean electricity grid today or not. 
And that's because the overall electricity grid in Canada needs to double or even triple in order to meet our future electricity demand in the next couple of decades. So I know you guys have done some research into this. So what does Canada's grid look like if we're on that, if we achieve the net zero goal? So uh, we released last year in 2022, a report called Shifting Power. And that was the product of more than four years of work um, uh, on these sort of pathways for electricity grid, uh, for energy systems modeling and working with policymakers to figure out what can work in Canada. And we were trying hard to achieve that goal, zero emissions by 2035. Um, so, so there's so many details in that report that we can dig out. Uh, the short answer is that it is possible, it is affordable, and it is reliable. And that's mostly by choosing electricity uh, sources and solutions that we already have familiarity with here in Canada. We're talking about wind electricity, solar, energy storage, Transmission connections between provinces are really key um, and using the existing hydroelectricity we have in Canada to help make all of that work. Um, so for us, uh, it's good news that using those technologies that we have a relationship with already in Canada um, is, is the kind of stuff that we should reach for. So in our report, when we're talking about meeting this goal in 2035 and beyond that out to 2050, the vast majority of new things we're putting on the grid are those, are wind, solar, energy storage, and those connections between provinces. Great. And this doesn't apply equally across the country. There's, there's two, two angles here. There's the opportunity, like where you can build wind and solar, uh, and then there's the need. So you, as we alluded to, there are some provinces that, that need more clean energy than others. Uh, so what does that look like? Who's going to be built? Where do we build this stuff? So, you know, our report is also just one pathway. I hope to, you know, in a year from now to be talking about dozens of pathways where we're looking at how best to get to this zero emissions target. Um, but right now, ours is still the only report uh, in Canada that, that shows this sort of pathway. Um, so it's not prescriptive. But uh, but the, the 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 question we are trying to answer with it is is a grid with that sort of mix even possible? Um, so in our example, we have uh, much much more wind and solar being built everywhere in Canada. We're talking about more than eighteen times the amount of wind and solar that we have on the grid today by the year twenty fifty. Um, so. So it's really everywhere, uh, no matter where you live in Canada, the prairies, Ontario, Atlantic Canada, West, um, you're going to be you're going to be needing a lot more wind and solar and energy storage on your system. Uh, there are places where it's cheaper or better uh, in some ways to build renewables, um, but renewables are the cheapest form of electricity in history. Uh, we sometimes have this old story in Canada where we remember a time when renewables were um, more expensive or more experimental from decades ago. And that's just no longer the case. So no matter where you live, uh, wind and solar are the cheapest form of electricity that you can put on the grid. And that's what we hope to see a lot more of. Um, something that's counterintuitive too is that uh, uh, provinces where those emissions are high today or where we have a history of oil and gas development like Alberta and Saskatchewan are some of the best places to build wind and solar. Um, they have very mature industries for those technologies, 
and fantastic resources for, for when the wind is blowing and when the sun is shining. So we're talking, uh, we're having this conversation in 2023 and last year in 2022, more than 95% of the wind and solar built everywhere across Canada was in just Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, so there's, there's lots of good news no matter where you are. So the other issue here is uh, there are great places produce wind and solar. And we have this challenge in Alberta where we don't have a lot of hydro and that sort of thing. Uh, and all of these sources are intermittent. And we have this challenge uh, in January, February, typically, where, uh, you know, the wind slows down, there's kind of a doldrums for the wind, there's not a lot of sun. How do we do that? So transmission connections between provinces are valuable everywhere. Um, and I think we have a job in Canada to make sure that uh, that provinces and that people living in, in communities across Canada see the benefits on both ends of that new electricity line. Um, but whenever we go for a modeling study or when we look in the economics of, of what to do on our electricity system, overwhelmingly, these connections between provinces make problems like that. Um, uh, they solve problems just like that. Um, so for Alberta, for instance, as, as, um, as big an ask, it sounds like these days, um, collaboration with British Columbia, a connection between Alberta and BC, uh, for sharing that electricity resource back and forth, not only benefits Alberta when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, so they can access the hydroelectricity in British Columbia in this example, but it also benefits British Columbia because the wind and solar being produced in Alberta are cheaper than the hydro they would otherwise use, or, or perhaps the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining at that exact moment in some corner of, a, of BC and they need the electricity. Uh, that what's called geographical diversity across the country is, is what makes a system with that much wind and solar so reliable. So of course we do need things like energy storage, um, we need the hydro dams to help back up some of this variable electricity, but it's that diversity across provinces, it's working together, um, that really uh, underlines that reliability that, that, uh, that we're able to achieve. If I think about it intuitively without uh, having done all of your research... <laughs> Uh, when you think about Alberta matching up with British Columbia, yeah, you got all that renewable energy in Alberta. You have all the big dams in British Columbia. It seems like a, there's a marriage there. Uh, Saskatchewan uh, is the same. Can the same be said for Saskatchewan and Manitoba? Manitoba has a lot of hydro. And for Ontario and Quebec, is is that kind of how it works? More or less. That's the same story that we see um, across these provincial boundaries. Um, and this is... It just it's a it's nice that we have these hydro provinces always right beside these fossil fuel dependent grids these days. Um, but but this idea that I was I was talking about where um, uh, it might be windy in one corner of northern uh, Alberta, for instance. So there's a lot of a lot of electricity being produced, but maybe uh, it's not as sunny as we thought it might be in in southern Manitoba. Um, and these grids are able to talk to each other and share that electricity in real time is is really so, so key, no matter where you are. Pretty much all the studies I've seen on this, you know, they all wind up at transmission at some point. Um, and, you know, it seems like a simple, elegant, you know, 
sharing. Uh, it, it, it makes a lot of sense if, if you think about it. But how do you get the provinces with their independent, naughty children natures uh, to actually work together on this? Um, and this is true across the whole category of work when, when we're talking about how we achieve something as a country, as Canada, um, and how that actually works in the provinces where this is actually being implemented. So when we're talking about the clean electricity regulation, these federal rules, the federal policy, uh, it's really the jurisdiction of the provinces for actually building out the electricity system and operating it. Um, so it's very important that the provinces see the benefit here as well. Um, so when we're talking about interprovincial transmission, it's been very difficult to build that in Canada historically. Um, we're definitely awake to that fact. Um, and that's why we see such a clear role for the federal government to play when it comes to convening these provinces and when it comes to paying for a big chunk of these electricity lines. Um, again, the opportunity here is very hard to quantify um, because it's it's so vast when it comes to the health benefits for Canada and for our healthcare system, when it comes to the job benefits, when it comes to unlocking the overall affordability of our entire energy system, this clean electricity grid that works well uh, and works well between provinces is a big, big win. So we see every reason for the federal government to invest in it when it comes to, um, to, to the federal budget, when it comes to um, working together on these transmission projects particularly. So, uh, so that's the short answer. That's, uh, that's where we see the clear role for the federal government. So we need, uh, you know, you've indicated we need a lot of electricity to replace all of the fossil fuel electricity, but we need a lot more electricity because of other actions being taken with climate change um, because of electrification. So how significant is that and how much more do we need? So we need a lot more electricity in Canada. In fact, we need to double or even triple our electricity system by the year 2050. Uh, and as you say, a large reason for that is electrification. So that's moving away from fossil fuels like gasoline and diesel in our cars, and instead moving to electric vehicles or electric public transport. Similarly for our homes, it's things like moving away from natural gas or home heating oil toward electric heat pumps and electric appliances. Um, and although uh, these sort of switches to electricity and to clean electricity will save us money uh, and will make, make for an overall um, uh, electricity system and energy system uh, that's, that's reliable and affordable, um, we're going to need a lot more electricity specifically as we switch all of those other sources onto the electricity grid. So not only do we have to clean up the grid we have, but we have to build a whole new grid on top of that, basically, when it comes to how much new electricity we're going to need. So uh, how much are we talking about in terms of cost? And you alluded to this, how much are we looking at saving uh, on electricity in the long run? So sometimes this is difficult to quantify because uh, Canada already spends tens of billions of dollars on its electricity system and a pretty regular pretty regular basis. Um, so that's what we're talking about here is we're on the order of tens of billions of dollars over these next few decades to renew and build out this new electricity system. Uh, but even with that said, the levelized cost of energy, how much it actually costs the consumer um, to use the electricity once that big system is built um, across scenarios, across our, our scenarios and the scenarios of others who do this work in Canada, 
Um, that levelized cost of electricity goes down for consumers as we move to a clean electricity system. Again, that's primarily because wind and solar are so cheap. Um, what's more than that, uh, even if for some people their electricity use goes way up as we electrify all these sources, uh, their energy bill may go up slightly as a part of that equation. Um, our overall energy spending uh, for a household. So when you take together the amount that you spend on electricity or your gasoline bill or your natural gas bill, um, the electricity bill is still there, but your natural gas bill goes to zero. Your gasoline bill for your car goes to zero. So this overall household energy spend um, goes down across all income categories when we make this kind of switch to clean electricity. It's funny because, you know, I, this is one of my pet peeves, but when you see the emissions charts for cities or provinces or countries, uh, they often say, well, buildings are a third, you know, transportation's a third, industry's a third. In fact, th those are the exact numbers Edmonton uses. But behind that is electricity. Electricity helps all those boxes. How much does it help those boxes and, and what does it do to help? Um, so this is foundational for Canada when we talk about the overall work we're doing on uh, on climate change. Cleaning up the electricity grid means that we clean up the energy we use for industry. It means that we clean up the energy that we're using for heating our homes, for driving our cars, for, for getting on public transit. Um, this, 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 this solution is foundational um, to, to the overall energy system. So I, you know what's really interesting? I just did a picture, uh, or sorry, a story, an interview with the head of the climate agency in Oslo. Oslo was the city that adopted the first climate budget for a city in the world in 2016. They have almost eliminated emissions from buildings already. In Norway, they've installed 1.4 million heat pumps. <laughs> and what they did was they made oil heating illegal. So they, you know, they announced it many years ago, and then I think it was 2019, you can't use oil anymore. And so they've almost eliminated already one of the big boxes uh, in Oslo, which is really cool. That's fantastic. And that is part of the reason why I think it's so important to have clear policy uh, that drives a transition like this. Uh, we need to be very clear uh, with, with cities and with, with industry and companies um, that this is a, a direction we're headed in. That's why I believe it's so crucial to get this clean electricity regulation right. Um, right now, uh, this, this regulation is, I believe, at risk of being weakened um, with loopholes and extensions and exemptions that don't actually allow us to meet that 2035 target that we're going for. So the example that you give about Oslo and buildings and banning new fossil fuels in buildings, um, it's that sort of thinking that we want to see uh, on the electricity grid, uh, we need to make sure that we're building no new fossil fuels, first of all, and then phase out what we have in, in between now and that 2035 target. Stephen, one of the things I think it says you didn't consider as well, and, and I'm wondering what the implications would be, is the role that hydrogen is going to play. For us, the role that hydrogen is going to play is very unclear. So we were, we were very intentional about uh, using what we call safe bets. Um, when it comes to the technology set um, for, for achieving this goal in Canada. Um, and there's just so much that's unknown um, with hydrogen that, uh, that we wanted to, to be sure that we could do it without it. 
Um, so who knows where, where that conversation is going. But, uh, but we think that uh, when it comes to electricity generation, when it comes to the kind of electricity uh, sources we're talking about, um, we can get there with wind, solar, energy storage, and these connections between provinces. Um, hydrogen, geothermal, offshore wind, they may end up you know, being, being beneficial to the grid, um, but I don't want to depend on them. And I, uh, I, I want to make as many safe bets uh, and no risk or no regret pathways as we can. Uh, and that's why we sort of had that focus in our report. Okay, so you talked about uh, the clean electricity standard now called regulation. How does it actually work? What does it do? Does it say you have to build a certain thing? Uh, and, and who does it say that to? So the federal government's very careful in its jurisdiction on this. Uh, and it's very clear that they have the jurisdiction to regulate emissions. So that's what this is all about, is uh, creating a set of rules so that uh, electricity providers um, can't produce a certain amount of emissions and making that amount of emissions as close to zero as possible. Um, so that's that's the mechanism that they're thinking about is this standard for um, for zero or or very close to zero uh, emissions at the at the utility level and at the level of the uh, actual electricity generator. So of course, wind, solar, energy storage, all these things don't produce emissions and will qualify under under a, a system like that. It's worth saying that we've seen. Um, Hints. We have seen what's called a policy framework for how they're planning to do this in Canada, but we haven't yet seen the real regulations. We haven't seen these draft regulations, and we're expecting those in the spring. We know that the federal uh, government's busy developing them, and we know that the fossil fuel industry is also very busy uh, lobbying for exemptions, extensions, and, and loopholes. Um, to, to weaken the overall effect of these regulations. So, uh, so we think it's really critical that folks kind of know what's going on and make their support very clear that we need to get to zero emissions by 2035 in the electricity grid. So will it kind of, uh, like, will it be served up on a pathway, to borrow a phrase, uh, in which you, the stuff you build has fewer and fewer emissions over time or in steps or... Is that how it'll work? It'll say if you build a new, uh, a new way of producing electricity, it has to produce X emissions or less. Is that how it'll work? Exactly. That's the sort of standard that they're looking to apply. What we also want to see is interim measures. We don't want to just have a, a target out there in 2035 and nothing at all between now and then. Um, we think it's a big risk that uh, companies will build new fossil fuel uh, generation and then just lobby uh, for, for it to stay on the grid until 2035 and later. So I think the big risk for us right now is stopping that new fossil fuel infrastructure from being built. Because if you're building, uh, you know, a, a big piece of technology like this, you're not planning to, uh, to tear it up and to, to shut it down 10 years later. Um, with the amount of money these things cost and new infrastructure that needs to be built, they're going to try and keep them online as long as they can. So I think stopping building new fossil fuels is the first step and uh, making sure that these pathways are really clear so that uh, we're on a steady path to get to that zero emissions pathway for 2035 is, is the key. 
So if I promise to do CCS, I'll I'll skate under the radar. We want to see the regulation be harder on fossil fuels in general. Um, and I think where we're sitting now is that there, there are way too many opportunities to build new fossil fuels and promise for something down the road. So that's certainly the case with carbon capture. And I am not optimistic uh, that uh, carbon capture will ever be cost effective. Um, that's why they're asking for so many billions of dollars from the federal government to make those kind of technologies work. Um, so for me, I think it's just a safer bet to not go with fossil fuels at all. Uh, and to instead uh, rely on the wind, solar, energy storage, and these sort of solutions that we're talking about that can actually bring benefits to communities. So the one, last thing you didn't talk about was uh, one of the f- big five. You mentioned four of the big five, and everybody always forgets the last one, which is even in your report, and that's energy efficiency. Talk about how that plays into this. Uh, for us, it's efficiency first. Um, things like demand-side management, using less electricity, using less energy in our homes and, and how we get around is always the first thing that we should reach for. Um, you know, it's the case that we're going to be needing more electricity because we're moving so many other end uses, so many other uses for energy onto the electricity grid. Um, but we need to to take this this question of uh, efficiency really seriously. That's also really good for our health, right? When we're talking about making um, our our buildings, for instance, much more energy efficient, we're talking about insulation, uh, that, that affects our air quality, that affects our quality of life. No one likes to be cold in the winter or too hot in the summer. These are like actual health implications um, uh, of our energy system. So um, for us, we see uh, energy efficiency as a huge priority. Uh, it's, it's mentioned in our report, and it's mentioned in, in the work that we do on this too. Um, but I think even with a lot of energy efficiency, uh, it's still going to be the case that, that we have a big problem to solve with how we, um, how we put new electricity on the grid. And that's why we're going so hard on, on uh, renewables as well. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, there is a lot of natural gas that's relatively new, or at least refurbishments uh, in places like Alberta. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. I think the other one that is going to come up again and again is hydrogen, uh, because the industry is pushing so hard for that to play a role, really hard. <laughs> and so, you know, you in, in some of the stories we've done, um, you know, they even want to use it for home heating. Uh, but, you know, it looks like uh, they'll try to use it for uh, big transport ships, planes, ships and trucks uh, and for industry. And uh, there's probably a role for it there, although that still depends on CCS if you're if you're producing blue hydrogen or getting more renewable energy. So I think that's one of the one of the things that we'll have to see how it turns out. I, I know you guys didn't deal with it in your report, but I, I think it's going to play a bigger role in some way. And I think if there is a role for hydrogen to play, it's with those hard to electrify sectors is what we call them. So you mentioned concrete, some heavy industry that you simply need to burn something to for, for the process to work. Um, I think it's ridiculous to talk about hydrogen uh, being a source of electricity. I think it's ridiculous to talk about hydrogen being a meaningful source of home heating. Um, these things, we, we have other solutions and we have other solutions that, that are, that we can, can take off the shelf today that work, um, wind, solar, energy storage, um, but, but things like heat pumps and all this too. Um, this was the point of, of the research that we did is, is seeing if that sort of technology set, 
um, is is possible today. So so when we're talking about more far off technologies, I think there are other applications we should be focusing on. Yeah. So uh, explain how this uh, intertie uh, transmission, why it's such a big deal, and very quickly draw us a picture of, of, of how that could work. So these electricity connections between provinces um, are a great thing everywhere, but there's some specific examples we can dig into. Uh, there's BC and Alberta. Uh, we can use the hydroelectricity in BC and the great wind and solar resource in Alberta to make the overall system more affordable, more reliable. The same sort of story can be said between Saskatchewan and Manitoba with the great wind and solar resource in Saskatchewan and the hydro resources in Manitoba and back and forth. These kind of stories rhyme and they go all the way across Canada. Um, so we really do see the benefits on both ends of these lines wherever they're built. Uh, what happens to jobs here? What kind of jobs are we talking about? And do some kinds of energy produce more jobs? Like how how good could this be for jobs? And, and where will we see them? So this is an incredible opportunity when it comes to jobs and the supply chain for, for clean technologies in Canada. Um, in our report, we only looked into the construction and operation jobs of wind, solar, and those transmission connections. So it's a very small piece of the overall pie, but in that alone, it was more than 75,000 jobs created every single year, 1.5 million job years over this period between now and 2050. Um, we know that's an underestimate. We know that doesn't account for energy storage or for electric vehicles or for heat pumps and all of the work that we have to do to upgrade the electricity system itself. So I think I agree with what I'm hearing from the federal government these days with uh, with the problem that we have now is that we're we're going to need workers very badly. Uh, there are going to be too many jobs when it comes to, uh, to to actually building out the amount of infrastructure we're talking about when it comes to clean electricity. Um, so I think there's huge opportunities for jobs. There's huge opportunities for labor, for communities, because this is something that's really distributed across Canada too. It's not like we have one like oil and gas region uh, for, for the energy system that we're, we're transitioning away from. Um, there are these sort of wind and solar and energy efficiency projects happening everywhere in Canada. Um, so it is, it's transformational when it comes to jobs. Last one, last thing, uh, let's just revisit the uh, clean electricity standard uh, or regulation again. So the clean electricity regulations are now what's being talked about for the policy for how Canada gets to 100% zero emissions electricity by that target year, by 2035. So it's going to have specific rules for emissions for electricity producers over time. Um, and we're going to be working hard to make sure that uh, new electricity uh, from fossil fuels is not built. And we're going to be working hard to make sure that we actually achieve that goal, that 2035, 100% clean electricity goal. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. Talk soon. This has been our full-length interview with Stephen Thomas, co-author of Shifting Power, Zero Emissions Across Canada by 2035. For more information, head to greenenergyfutures.ca. For Green Energy Futures, I'm David Dodge.